for me, it's always been wondering, like, what am I capable of? You know, like when I walk away from whether, whether it be, you know, cross country skiing, you know, what, or, or, you know, mountain biking or running, it's like, what can I do? And, and I think that that's like a really powerful thing to like, when you get to the point where you've like reached your limit and you find those limits, you're like, this is what I can do. Welcome to For the Long Run, the podcast exploring the why behind what keeps runners running long, strong, and motivated. I'm your host, Jonathan Levitt. Through personal and professional connections in the running world, I have the privilege of getting to know some amazing athletes. I've always been fascinated by the psychological aspects of running and what helps people to achieve success, however they define it, and this podcast is aimed at exploring this and much more. I hope you enjoy. Thank you to Tracksmith for sponsoring this episode. Tracksmith just released their spring collection, and as a season shift yet again, I'm proud to continue this partnership with them. Tracksmith is a brand for committed runners like you and me, people who know that the best part of a busy day is squeezing in a workout. They offer products for training, racing, and rest days, which you know I'm a fan of, and create experiences that make running more rewarding, more connected, and more meaningful. Visit tracksmith.com slash for the long run to see some of my favorite pieces and all orders with the code for the long run, all one word, will receive free shipping and 5% of your purchase amount will be donated to the Michael J. Fox Foundation to help find a cure and support those living with Parkinson's. This episode is brought to you by Freedom Solar, the company I'm using to go solar on my house. When I first started looking into solar, I thought it would be a clunky and expensive process. Freedom Solar walked me through the economics of it, where if you choose financing, you can potentially be up $50 a month every month starting the day you turn your system on. With no down payment required, solar not only adds value to your home and is great for the environment, but allows you to save money from day one. Freedom Solar operates in Texas, Colorado, Virginia, and Florida, but there are plenty of other great options nationwide. Welcome back. I have Will Bo Davis joining me from Fort Collins. Will, thanks for uh, taking some time to chat today. Yeah, of course. I'm I'm excited. Likewise. Um, so, who is uh, who is Will? Gosh, you hit, We're gonna dive, the, dive right into it. Yeah, going with the hard question right away there. Um, <laughs> you know, it, 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 that's a tough one to answer, but I think uh, you know probably what I think of myself as as more of like a, a generalist. You know, I, I'm uh, I've, I've done a lot of different things. Um, over, you know, my life, I'm, I'm 24 years old, but uh, I went to school. I was a cross-country skier, skied Division One, went to NCAAs for that. Um, so that was kind of my highlight, my focus of like the first part of my life. Um, and then, you know, graduated school and, and started my own company. And I've been going through the, the startup world um, in that aspect. And, and I've also been really, you know, passionate about just working out, um, and especially in terms of like, endurance athletics. Um, last year I, I did the Colorado trail race, which is a 500 mile, uh, mountain bike race from, uh, Denver to Durango. And I got second in that and that was pretty epic. So yeah, just a bunch of different things. I really enjoy running, really enjoy, um, cross country skiing, you know, pretty much anything outdoors where you're, you're doing endurance and kind of pushing yourself to your limits, I guess. Very cool. I love the overlap between endurance sport and entrepreneurship. Maybe let's start there. Uh, I'm curious, what what got you into entrepreneurship? Yeah, um, it, it's something that I've always been interested in ever since I was like eighth grade, I think. You know, it's my, I, my dad's a business owner. He's a veterinarian and, and I got to kind of watch him grow up 
um, as I grew up and he started his own business from scratch. And, um, I think that that was just like really inspiring to be like, you can just kind of create this, you know, business and, and run it exactly the way you want it to, to be run. And, um, you know, I think that that was cool, but I've always also like, you know, always kind of been making things and, and messing around with, um, just different electronics, different, you know, hardware stuff. And, uh, I've always thought that the idea of like, you know, creating something that hasn't been out there and then bringing it to market and, and seeing if people want it. I, I thought that that was a really uh, cool concept. It's sort of like the, the building of fitness, right? Right. So do you, do you see the overlap? Do you feel the overlap or is it just something that is natural for you? No, absolutely. I mean, I think that like the, it's the entrepreneurial path that is, has got a lot of overlap with, um, you know, like the fitness and athletic, um, you know, mindset that I've taken. Whereas like, you know, you, you set goals for, you know, your sport or, you know, for, you know, you want to run a certain marathon pace, whatever. And, and you don't really know if you're going to be able to do that. Um, and you know, it just kind of comes down to just putting in the work and then believing that, you know, you're going to be able to get to that goal, um, whatever that may be. And I think that that's, you know, really helped me deal with some of the, you know, failures along the way, some of the things that haven't gone the way I wanted it to, is you, you look at it more of a process than more of a, you know, you fail once and then like you don't meet your time once and then it's all over. It's like, well, you, you don't get it this time, but you keep moving forward, keep making progress and eventually you, you'll get to that end goal. Definitely. Um, so I was looking at your company, um, yeah. Book Sound, and what I find to be so interesting is how you describe that it was born out of the frustration that good audio is oftentimes neglected from the rooms we use most because simply put or put simply speakers are ugly. So it's it's so cool that like there's so much innovation that's happening where people are trying to create problems and then solve them. And a truly successful company can be can only be born out of a like you're actually solving a problem that already exists, right? Like yeah. the the I don't need to you know, come up with an example for it, but it, it's great that, um, it's great that that was your decision-making process. So I'm curious, like, what was the genesis of that? Yeah, well, it, it actually started back in college. So I was like, I, you know, I had three other roommates, um, and I moved in and I, you know, I've always been a fan of audio. So I have my big speaker set up and, uh, I, I tried to set it up all around my kitchen and, uh, my roommates got over and they're like, yeah, that's, that's not going to fly. Like you can't have these like big, ugly speakers, you know, everywhere. And I was like, well, I want to listen to music while I like cook dinner and hang out. Cause I mean, I spend, you know, a good chunk of my time in the kitchen. Um, and they, you know, they basically said no. And I was like, okay, well, this is the problem. Like I, I want to listen to music here. I don't want to spend thousands of dollars for like a ceiling installation. Um, and especially in a rental apartment that would make no sense. Um, and so, you know, I kind of was like, I want to have a good audio system in my kitchen. And, uh, that, that's kind of what started the idea. And I realized that, you know, it just wasn't, it wasn't the kitchen that was the problem. There's a lot of places where, um, you would find that, that speakers, you know, just didn't fit into the aesthetics. And so I, uh, had been doing, you know, a little bit of research on, you know, speakers and physics and stuff like that, and, and kind of stumbled onto a technology that basically would allow you to create a good sounding speaker in um, a very shallow frame and just kind of hang it on your wall. Um, and so, you know, you have a, a photo right behind you there. And so that that's kind of the inspiration is like you have something that um, is kind of a dual purpose. It's like everyone's got pictures on the wall. Well, let's kind of make them useful. And so that's that was kind of the whole process of how I started um, with Folk Sound. I love that. I've got like eight Alexas in my house and I find it creepy that it's always listening to me. And yes, it just 
perked up. <laughs> um, and so I'd love to replace them with something that looks good. And, and like the wall over here could use some, uh, use some art. Um, is it commercially available? Yeah. So, well, we, we've been doing like beta test selling for like our, our first ones. Cause I mean, we started like our company is a year ago in 10 days is when our company was like officially incorporated. Like I've been doing research on it for like three years before that. Um, and so we, we ran like a beta test where we had 40 of them that like our local community could buy. And that, that went super well. Uh, and then we, we kind of used that. And so we're launching a new model um, on Kickstarter in July. And so that one, like we basically took all the feedback um, from that. And we're going to launch our like latest and greatest one for people that are like really looking for like the home audio solution. Um, we do sell what we call like our Bluetooth uh, version of our speaker. And that one is just like kind of geared towards like a personalized gift. So we, we put it at like a lower price point. Um, but the new one's really cool. Like I, I'm going to nerd out for a second, but it's got a, like a mini subwoofer integrated in it. It can like, they link up all together throughout their house, you know, so like you can play one in one room and the next room, they're all controlled by an app. They like integrate with a bunch of different streaming services. Um, so it's just like super easy. They got Apple AirPlay 2 and all that, like, you know, functionality that um, you kind of look for in a, a speaker system. And so, and, and they sound awesome. So those are the new ones. Those are coming out in July. Um, we're doing, uh, we're launching it on the Kickstarter platform just because that's a really easy, like pre-sale solution that they've already kind of got set up. Um, so yeah, so those are the ones that I'm like, if you're looking for a home audio solution, definitely get that. We do sell the ones like based for personalized gifts. They're Bluetooth. They sound good. Um, but if you're looking for something that's going to be your like permanent speaker for like a, you know, a home, like kind of theater, you know, that's, that's what we got coming. Cool. Well, I want to jump back over to the endurance side of things, but I have to take a dig at you first. Yeah. You're a big audio guy and you're doing a podcast with AirPods. <laughs> I knew I knew I was gonna get in trouble with that. All of my uh, my high quality uh, microphones are they're like calibrated microphones, and they're all set up on my speakers right now. So I was like I was running tests before I got this, and I was like, oh, I gotta I gotta go to this podcast, and so I just grabbed my AirPods and, and set it up like this. I know I, I knew you were gonna say something about that too. That's funny. I so I have these um, these Shure mics. I don't know if you can see that. The people who are listening certainly can't. Um, and I bought them right before I, I love good audio quality and I love like when something sounds really rich and really smooth mm -hmm. and I bought these in December and then Omicron hit, I was like, Oh, I'm going to do all these live podcasts. And I've had these really nice mics and nobody has used them yet, but excited to do some, some in person so that we can have, you know, beers, this is in <laughs> athletics, it's not alcohol, but <laughs> have some beers and, and do a podcast again. Um, sure. but jumping, jumping back to the endurance side of things. Um, I got to ask about the skiing. I've gotten into skate skiing and I find it so, so hard. And I, I grew up playing hockey. And so like, I believe that I have a bit of an advantage over most and I still find it really hard. So I'm curious, how did you get into skiing? And we might have to call this one for the, for the long ski. <laughs> there you go. Um, well, I, I've been skiing since, you know, I was like three years old. I mean, you know, I, I think the thing about skiing is that it, it's hard, you know, it, it's a lot of, it takes a lot of, you know, work to be like, to move. I mean, you, you gotta, you know, you, you gotta really work on, you know, pushing with your legs and, and balancing. And so it's kind of a whole, you know, a bunch of different pieces that you got to put together. But, um, so I got started with skiing, uh, yeah, when I was like three or four, you know, I raced in high school, um, you know, competitively, I think I started racing when I was in fifth grade. 
And I just, just kept racing, kept pushing myself, um, and actually made it all the way up to about as high as you can go in college athletics to, to the NCAAs, like I mentioned earlier. Um, yeah. And then, I, and you know, I've, it's just a sport that I, I love. I've, you know, coach people right now, I'm coaching our high school team and then some masters, um, you know, where I'm at right now. Um, but it, it's just such a, it's such an amazing sport. You know, I think it's, it's got a, such a great transfer over for like, um, runners or other endurance athletes because, um, it's really, truly a cardio based sport and it's, um, low impact. So it's like, you're looking for something to do in the winter. That's not going to get you injured. Um, I think cross country skiing can be a great way to kind of get that going and it, it does take a little bit of learning does take have a technique curve but i think it's well worth it once you kind of get out there and try it for sure it's um it's wild i moved i moved here and um i was like does everybody know how to cross country ski here how is everybody so good at skate skiing yeah <laughs> It, uh, you, you know, it's one of these things where it's like you start the first time, especially if you're like, ah, oh, like I've downhill skied or I've like, I've done hockey and stuff like that. You start like, I'm, I'm going to be fine. And you get on there and you're like, this is not like anything else you've ever done. I, and it's one of those things. It's just, it takes time to get good at it, but really it's all about just being able to like balance on the, the leg. I mean, I th that's the key that I think most people kind of forget, you know, they, they get stuck in the middle. So when you're skate skiing, you like, you got your sides out, but your hips get like stuck over the middle of, of, you know, your ski and you're not getting over the top of each ski. And so if you watch a good skier, you know, they'll be balanced on one leg, they'll push, they'll be balanced on the next leg. And so, I mean, it, it's one of those things that just takes practice, you know, just, you kind of got to get the feeling. And then once you get it, it does become easier. Got it. My first time skate skiing this season was up in Breckenridge and I had just run for two hours and I was like unbelievably slow. And I went into the, into the lodge afterwards and I asked the woman at the desk, I was like, can you look at my skis and tell me if I need to like wax them or something? <laughs> and she looked at them. She's like, damn, these, these are nicer than mine. Like the, the wax job is fantastic. Like, this is great. You should be fine. I was like, not what I was hoping to hear. Not very helpful. Well, um, I I think the two hour <laughs> run right before it might've made that a little harder for you. <laughs> Maybe it was remarkably slow. So hopefully it was, hopefully that was that. Um, so I'm curious the transition from skiing to mountain biking, you do some trail running. What's the, uh, you mentioned the Colorado trail. Where did an epic adventure like that come into the mix? Yeah. So that started a long time ago when, when I was, 14, 13, 14. Um, my dad took us on a, a kayak trip around Lake Superior. So that's our largest freshwater lake. It's, you know, 1200 miles around and it took us 72 days. So when I was, when I was 14 years old, my brothers and I broke the world record for the youngest people to do that. And so we got our first taste of wow. like, you know, ultra endurance, like events. And, and that was in, in the form of a, a kayaking trip, you know, fast forward a year, we did a uh, thousand miles on the Pacific crest trail. Fast forward two more years, did the uh, Continental Divide Trail, which is a 2,700 mile mountain bike trail from Canada to Mexico. And then I came back the next year and raced it. And so that's how that all got started is, is you know, my, my dad was always been really into that. And he's what got us into those kind of outdoor like endurance events. So at the beginning, day one, what's the, where's your mind at? Yeah. So for, for me last year when I did it, you know, I, I hadn't done a, an ultra endurance race for like three, four years. Um, so that, that was my first one in a while. So I was not super fresh. Um, and I was like, well, I'm just going to go out and, you know, kind of see what I can do. 
Um, and you know, for really those outdoor endurance races, it's just like, it's really just a race against yourself. Like there's other people there, but you're really just seeing like, okay, how long can I bike? Like how little sleep can I get? Um, you know, like how much, like, can I endure, um, and still kind of come out the other side of it. And so for me, that that's what those, those races are, are about. It's, it's not about like, Oh, who's going to come in first. Who's going to come in second. It's like, you know, like what is the physical limit of my capability? Um, and you know, where can I, well, what can I do with it? So how do you, how do you prep for something like that? Right. Cause my intent with this podcast is understanding like, where do, where does the mind go when things get hard and how can the rest of us learn from people who do hard things so that we can all do hard things right. and make it like a bit more manageable. So curious how you've evolved and grown with the intent of like the next month is going to be really hard and not just like the next training session, the next hour, the next 20 minute segment, like the next month. How do you prep for that? I mean, I, I think you, you do what you can, you know, you, you get as physically fit as you can. Um, but at some point you just kind of got to go out there and do it. I mean, that, that's what I found for myself. Like last year when I did the Colorado trail race, I, I got second place overall, you know, as a rookie, which is pretty hard to do. Um, but you know, and I, I didn't trade nearly as much as I, as I probably should have, you know, but it was something where I just went out there and I, I just kind of said, okay, like, you know, I would, I would constantly kind of ask myself this question. And I think that, that going into it with a mindset of like, okay, is this like, can I go further? Like, can I physically go further? Can I go 15 minutes further? Can I go, you know, you know, a mile further, whatever, whatever the denomination you break it down to, um, you'd say, you know, can I go a little further? And, and, and that just that little, just asking yourself that like internal question of like, okay, can I do one more of this? And if the answer is, yes, you can physically do one more of this, then, then do one more of it, you know? And that, that's kind of what I went into. And now, you know, I mean, you get to the point where at some point you're, you're too tired and you're like, I have to sleep. Like, you know, the, the last, the last day I, so the way that I kind of slept through the schedule, cause there's no like mandatory stops on these is I went the first day I slept three hours. The second day I slept two hours. The third day I slept one hour. And the last day I, I slept like 15 minutes a couple of times. And so by the last day I was getting to the point where I was like, I was falling asleep on my bike. Like I was seeing like, you know, animals and stuff that like weren't there. Like I was, you know, there was just like, I was kind of hallucinating, um, towards the end. And, and that was the point where I was like, okay, like, like I do need to sleep. Like this is, this is the <laughs> point, you know, like I got there. Um, and so I, I, you know, ended up taking like a little like naps and stuff like that. I think the, the conscious choice aspect is interesting um you mentioned i think you even said it go one more i did a podcast with nick bear um episode 174 nick is a strength and power based athlete turned ultra runner turned um you know sub three marathoner as a goal and he is a big dude with a lot of muscle running a lot and running fast and running far and He's former military and his whole perspective is whatever you think you can do, go one more and that the body is capable of much more than the mind is. And so if you just will yourself to keep going, uh, you can't, uh, but it, it has to be that choice. And I think that there's so much power in the choice of choosing to endure, right? Like the, I believe the definition of endurance is 
essentially along the lines of like the ability to persevere when the cost of persevering continues to get more and more expensive, you could say. I like um, that. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's like a, there's some version of that that's, that's true. Um, that's like the, my, my paraphrase version. Um, but it's, but it is true. It's like the cool thing about endurance sports is nobody's forcing you to do it. Nobody's making you bike across the state or anything like that or around the lake or whatnot. And it's a conscious choice to like dive into the unknown and do, do things that are hard and do things that, that, that push you further than everyday life might. Mm -hmm. So I'm curious, I'm curious why, why do you do it? You know, for me, it's always, it's, I think it's mostly born out of curiosity. You know, I, I think it's always been, you know, what can I do? Cause it's like, you know, you're given like, you know, you're given this body and, you know, for me, it's always been wondering like, what am I capable of? You know, like when I walk away from whether, whether it be, you know, cross country skiing, you know, what, or, or, you know, mountain biking or running, it's like, what can I do? And, and I think that that's like a really powerful thing to like, when you get to the point where you've like reached your limits and you find those limits, you're like, this is what I can do. Um, I, I just think that's, that's a cool feeling. It's, it's, you know, I think it, it gives you a lot of confidence. Um, in other areas of your life too, when you're like, you know, like when I'm starting my business and things aren't going well and, and I keep, you know, things keep breaking, things aren't working. Um, I think that just having that kind of backgrounds of the, you know, the endurance sport where it's like, can I do a little bit more, you know, can I push myself a little bit harder? I think that they all kind of tie together and it's just like general curiosity is like, what, what can I do? You know? And that's, that's always been interesting to me. Episode, on episode 200 of this podcast, I talked with David Roche, um, who's my coach, about curiosity in general. Um, it's something we've talked a lot about, and it's something that I think that when an athlete has that, like, how, how far can I go? Where's my limit? Versus, I want to do this, or I want to run a sub XYZ race. You're setting yourself up to be successful no matter what you do, because you're defining success as doing more, right? Success. Well, I'm curious, what, what is success to you? Uh, <laughs> I mean, I think, I think, you know, success to me is, is working towards a goal. I don't think that like, I think a lot of people think of success is the finish line, but I think that in my life, it's always been, you know, working towards something, you know, having something worth working towards and, continuing to work on that and iterate on that in your life. And, and so, you know, if I, if I ever get to the point where I've, you know, accomplished all of my goals, I know that I'm going to be setting more because um, for me, success is always just, you know, I think it's chasing the limits, chasing, you know, what you can do and uh, wherever you're at in your life. Okay. So we agree. <laughs> um, awesome. Thanks again to Tracksmith for supporting the podcast. I'm proud to partner with Tracksmith and they're going to donate 5% of your order value to the Michael J. Fox Foundation for all orders and you'll also get free shipping. The Michael J. Fox Foundation is dedicated to finding a cure and helping those living with Parkinson's. Both of my grandfathers have or had Parkinson's and I'm grateful for Tracksmith's support for something so personal. Visit tracksmith.com slash for the long run to see some of my favorite pieces and all orders with the code for the long run will contribute towards this donation. I have been loving their Harrier long sleeve and Alston half tights in particular. Thanks again to Freedom Solar Power for supporting this episode of the podcast, as well as our desire for a greener energy source. The buying process was fascinating and so eye-opening, and I wanted to pay my learnings forward. 
If you're curious, message me on Instagram or Twitter, and I'd be happy to help you get in contact with some great resources. Freedom Solar operates in Texas, Colorado, Virginia, and Florida. My parents have the same panels from SunPower from a different company in Massachusetts. I mean, so I've done a lot of these podcasts now, and it's fascinating. At first, it was surprising that people were defining success in that way. And the more the more I asked that question, the more consistent of an answer I got. And these are people who are both subjectively and objectively successful by like conventional standards, um, societal standards. They've won a gold medal. They've started a business. They've achieved their marathon goal, whatever it is, they've won a race. Um, but that doesn't, that's fleeting, right? Like, as you said, if, if you're solely focused on a specific outcome, like then what, then what happens next? And so this like curiosity component, like to be successful at being curious, it means doing the work. And if you check the box every day, like that day is successful. And so you're much more in control of your ability to be successful, which I think is like, it's that lovely self-fulfilling prophecy. Yeah, no, I totally agree. I mean, I think I, my first, you know, dealing with this problem is, was back in high school and I had this goal where I wanted to win state. And then, you know, my, my junior year, I did it. I won state. And then I was like, now what? Like I did it. Like I, I'm done. Like I, I had a very, like, I very, very like goal focused, um, you know, approach. And then as I kind of grew as an athlete and as a person, I think I, that, that transition from, okay, I want to do this specific thing to, okay, I want to do my best that I possibly can and, you know, see where that leads me. And I think that that as like an athlete, like, you know, I, I see, I saw a ton of my teammates, a ton, a ton of other college athletes who would get done with their sport and then they would stop exercising. They would stop working out, you know, they would stop doing what they love and they'd just be, like miserable. And I'm like, you know, I, I think that that's because they had a very, you know, goal oriented approach to it. Whereas if you have a, a, you know, a more of like a, yeah, curiosity based approach, I think that that's uh, just a much more, you know, fulfilling way to, to do athletics and in and, and life in general, sometimes. <laughs> totally agree. So, um, what I find interesting is that normally this conversation is with people who are 35 years old or older. And the conclusion that we've, generally come to is you have to fail a lot in order to get to this conversation that we're having that like the ability to focus on process versus outcome is growth like maturity and and you're 24 i had this same conversation with your girlfriend on the podcast holly who's 20 she's 23 yeah and that was episode 203 um and I was blown away by her ability to communicate a very similar but wildly different experience of process versus outcome. For her, running long, exploring the trails, understanding how it makes her better human, all of this as a 23-year-old versus the conversations that I'm normally having with athletes that, you know, they've been doing it for quite a while and they've experienced injuries or burnout or whatever. So how are you, how did you get to this already? Yeah. So I'm not sure exactly. <laughs> um, that's, that's a hard question. I think for, for me, you know, athlete athletics has like another purpose. Like I've, you know, been dealing, I've had ADHD my entire life. 
Um, you know, and I think that in a lot of ways, it's, it's actually more of a blessing than a curse um, because it, it, I think it really helps, you know, fuel the curiosity. But for me, I, I've kind of come to notice that like, if I don't work out, like I haven't gone three days in the last eight years without working out. Like if I don't work out, I can't focus on anything. You know, my, my brain starts to, to go, you know, everywhere. And it's just, it's just a very terrible feeling. And so for me, I've kind of learned that like, I have to work out and, and, you know, I think that the additional thing is like, I, I want to have a goal when I'm working out, like I want to have something I'm working towards. And so, you know, it, it's been hard to like leave cross country skiing behind um, as, you know, kind of my, my, that was like where my goals are focused, but I think I just transitioned it more to, you know, okay, let's open up some other doors. Let's see what other areas I can push myself in, um, see where I can end up, you know, how good I can end up being in, in whatever I, I choose to do. But did you fail a bunch of times? Oh yeah. To get to the to this point, let's talk about that. Talk, tell me about a couple of failures you've experienced. Um, yeah. So I I I mean I've failed a lot in terms of like racing. You know, like I I would do not as well as I wanted, and I think that you know I, I've kind of moved away from that approach of like okay I didn't you know I did bad in this race and that was a failure and I I did you know poorly like this. But I think in terms of like. Um, you know, burnout, I, I gone a couple times where I've, you know, overtrained a bit in a season or, you know, trained really hard and then, you know, not seen any, you know, felt like gotten worse, you know, I've, I've gotten worse. And I think coming back from those, um, and, you know, approaching, continue to approach athletics and, and endurance sports in the same way has been hard, but I think it's been easier because, I, I know that I need to keep working out. So like, if I don't work out, like I don't feel good. So I need to keep working out. And I think that that's, what's been like the consistent factor of like, okay, well, now if I'm going to be working out, like I, I'm going to keep trying to, to readjust my goals to try to be better. So, yeah, I mean, that, that that's, you know, kind of some of the ways that, that I've failed in that aspect, I guess. But I'm still curious on the, like the fact that, you're still like, I would still consider you like a younger athlete, despite the fact you've been doing it for your whole life, having already gotten to a place that you're in control of your own destiny. I think back to my own experience as a 24, 25, 26 year old runner, and my entire identity was defined by my ability to run sub three. And I hadn't run sub three. And I failed at that four different times before finally doing it when I was 28. And I was so wrapped up in the outcome and I was so focused on, um, I must do this. Otherwise I suck as a runner. Like it wasn't that intense, but it was like pretty close. Um, and I think a lot of that was a product of the community I was in. Everybody was really, really excellent, um, and really fast and, you know, always doing a lot of intense things. Um, but for me, the, so somebody once asked me, were those marathons a failure or did you learn from them? And I was like, no, I didn't learn from them because I didn't change my process. I didn't change my approach. I didn't change anything. I was just so cocky that I thought like I deserved it because I was putting in the work. And then I read the um, essay from Peter Bromka, the marathon doesn't owe you anything. And that helped to change things a little bit, but still like I needed to fail four times over like a four year period before it finally sunk in that like this single track approach does not work. And it was, yeah, when I was 28 that I finally figured out like, okay, the best way to 
execute a good race is to focus on the everything it took to get there and celebrate all of that versus looking at it as a test. And so I stood on that start line, like the lightest I'd ever been, not physically, but mentally. Like it didn't really matter what happened because everything else was already a success. Uh, but it took me a while to get there. And I'm happy for you <laughs> that you're already there. How lucky. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I mean, I, I think that like, you know, I've definitely had points in my career where I've, you know, let the race define me. Like there's been many a times where, you know, I, I did a ski race or a running race and I did bad and I was just, I felt awful. I felt terrible, you know, about myself, but the races that like consistently across the board that I've, that I've done the best in terms of like performance wise, have always been when I approached the race of, you know, I did, I've done the work, like I've done everything I can to do as well as I, as well as I possibly can today. Like I've done everything. Um, and now it's just time to see if the cards line up. Um, and I think walking into a race with that confidence of saying, okay, like I've done everything that I, that I know I can do. Um, and I'm just going to le- let the cards, you know, land where they, where they fall. Um, I think that that's, that's the powerful, you know, step in running. If you can get and and running and skiing and any and endurance sport, if you can get there, I think that that's, that's a sweet spot, you know? For sure. Um, so fast forward five to 10 years, what are you, what are you really proud of accomplishing? Uh, probably the, the thing that I'm the most proud of, and it's the thing that I get the least credit for of like my, my bigger accomplishments is when I was 17, I did the tour divide, which is a 2,700 mile mountain bike race. Um, it's from Banff, Canada to Mexico. Like I talked about, um, I was 17 years old. I did it by myself. Um, and that was a, you know, an incredibly, incredibly challenging thing to do. I, I ended up finishing, I got ninth place, it took me 17 days. I, I biked the last 37 hours without sleeping. Um, you know, and I, I averaged, I think, a total of eight hours of stops time um, throughout the whole entire course. And so it was just, you know, it just kind of built on itself. But, but that accomplishment, I think, unlocked so many doors, you know, so many mental doors in my life of saying like, okay, like, you know, what, what is, what is possible? You know, what can I do? And I think it's given me the confidence to be like, you know what, like I can, I can do some of these things that I think most people, you know, don't believe that they, they could do. Cause I mean, I went into that race, I went into it with, you know, like I had ridden like a hundred miles total that year. I just came, it just got done with track. Our team won the, the state championships, which is really awesome. But I literally went right from that, right to this bike race and just the confidence that you can kind of build into it. And, and even if you're not ready to be able to kind of go for something like that and, and do well was a huge accomplishment and, you know, my, my mind, I guess, of just being able to complete that. Very cool. So you're, you said 17 days for the, for the bike race. Yeah. So 17 days, 10 hours and 11 minutes. We'll forget that one. <laughs> 17 days, 10 hours, 11 minutes with yep. eight of those hours being stop time. Um, well, eight, eight hours a day. So eight hours a day uh, average, not, not, not the whole time. I was going to say it. Yeah. that would be be, yeah no that would be unreal but no it was it was eight (laughs) hours average a day so i mean you know on average i probably spend you know four to five hours sleeping and and the rest of the time was just fiddling around with refueling getting food you know fixing playing wordle yeah mostly wordle yeah (laughs) um where where did your head go when you were on like day 12 and you're like, all right, cool. I've got like another f- night of four hours of sleep. 
man. Um, <laughs> you know, it, I, everyone always asks me like, what was I bored? You know, was I bored throughout that? And I, I was never bored. You know, I was always like, I, I was always thinking about something. Most of the time I felt like I was thinking about how much I hated the state that I was in. I like started in, <laughs> uh, started in Canada. I was like, all right, Canada is terrible. Like that was the worst section. Then I got to Montana. I was like, no, Montana is terrible. That one's like the worst. And then I just kept going and I kept getting harder and harder and worse and worse. Um, and, and I think it was just like, you know, when you're, I think when you're that age, like you don't know, like, I didn't know how to quit things. Like I, I, I didn't like, I didn't quit. Like I'd, I'd never given up on anything before. And so I, I didn't know how to be like, okay, I'm done. Like that's too hard. Like I'm done. I mean, so I think coming into it just as a young age of, of, you know, not having the choice to, to give up is, is what helped me kind of through that. Um, and I think it, it gets harder when you get older, you know, and that's, that's a weird thing is, is it, it gets, for me, it's gotten harder to, to, to not give up on things, you know, it's like, ah, I could, you know, cause I could be sitting at home right now. But it, for me, I was like, I have to do this. Like, this is, this is what I'm doing. Like I have to finish it. So, yeah. I mean, a lot of, a lot of times I was just, you know, thinking about, the, the trail thinking about, you know, looking around and, and watching as the world passed by, I guess. <laughs> Very cool. Uh, I want to go back to something you mentioned earlier, your relationship or the relationship between ADHD and endurance sport for you. I was diagnosed mm-hmm. with ADHD in third grade and it explained a hell of a lot to my parents about why I was the way I was uh, and why I am the way I am and like what I'm able to be good at as a result. Mm-hmm curious about your relationship with, with that. Yeah. So it's one of the things that, you know, like I said, it's a blessing and a curse. Um, it's definitely like plagued me a lot through plagued, plagued me. I don't know. <laughs> it's plagued me a lot, uh, over the, the course of my life where, you know, I, I've, you know, seen like, I just had like so many different areas that I've, you know, been interested in. That's why you see me as like, you know, I'm doing a bunch of things right now, like biking, skiing, you know, entrepreneurship, and I got a hun- another, you know, hundred other hobbies. And so I think the biggest challenge for me has been able to, you know, kind of put that all together and, and stay focused on a single task. And I think, you know, you know, working out and, and endurance sports has been like kind of the, the compass that's kind of kept me on the right track. So if I don't work out, I, I notice it immediately. Like I didn't work out this morning and like, I'm all jittery right now that, my thought, everything is just kind of like, just comes in and out. Um, but when I, when I do exercise, when I do, um, you know, do a good hard workout, I'm able to focus on a task much better. Um, I'm able to be, you know, content with just kind of being and doing that one thing. Um, and I, I think that that's, that's really where the, the AD, the working out ADHD puzzle is kind of come together for me. I totally agree and absolutely feel the same way. People find it, people don't, do not understand, like, how, I wear a ton of hats. I host a podcast. I have a full-time job that's demanding. I travel a lot, all these other things. And I'm like, I can't imagine not doing all of that <laughs> right. all at once. Right. <laughs> like, exactly. it, it would be really boring, and, and they would all suffer as a result. Um, right. Yeah, and I, I find groundedness in the anchor point of endurance sport, and that's the the most important part of the day because if it doesn't happen, everything else is impacted. Mm-hmm. Yeah. When did and, you figure that out? Um, well, I think when I was little, you know, I had a ton of energy and some of my parents were like, you need to, you need to exercise, go send them off to ski practice. You know, like they, you know, they kind of was like, you need to get the energy out. 
but I didn't really like consciously realize it until I think I was probably a, a sophomore in high school where, you know, I went a couple of days and I was like, I don't feel good. Like I, it's hard to explain how you feel, but it's like, I, I just don't feel like good. Like I can't do my homework. Like I can't, you know, do the things that I want to do. And I, I just overall, yeah, just feel bad. And so, and, and once I like have kind of like grown older and kind of, you know, been out of a, a sport for two years now out of a, like a, you know, structured sport, I've really, you know, noticed that where I'm like, ah, like, I, you know, I will, I'm too busy. I'm not going to, you know, go for a run or go for, you know, bike today. And then I'll, I'll do that. And I'll be like, well, I, I accomplished less today than I, you know, despite <laughs> having that extra hour and a half, I'd accomplish way less than I would have had I, you know, been able to go for that run. And so it, I think that that's kind of been the determining factor. Like, okay, like I got to happen. Like it's got to happen every day if you're going to be successful at, at what you're doing. Totally. I think ADHD or not, I think the giving yourself an hour to do something yeah. that grounds you and gives you that like sustenance and, and sense of purpose and focus as silly as that sounds like, I think it's critically important. Like I had a conversation with my boss a few years ago and he's a big cyclist, mountain biker and all that fat biking and gravel riding and all this stuff. And he was like, I get it. Like I must exercise every day. Mm-hmm. I must run every day or, you know, except Mondays. Um, and it's, some people see it as selfish, but I think those people don't either. They, they don't want to see it as selfish and they do, or they just don't understand. And I think it's, it's the least selfish thing you can do to want to give or be the best version of yourself. And that starts with putting your own mask on, first before helping those around you as we get reminded on the airplanes, which I love. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I, I, I totally agree. I mean, it, it makes you a bet, like it makes you a happier, a better person than the people around you. So to call it selfish, I think is, yeah, is a little naive because it's like, if I didn't work out, like, I don't think you'd want to be around me very much. <laughs> um, you know, so it's like, I, I'm really helping you by doing this. <laughs> totally. Um, well, this has been this has been super fun. Um, definitely going to have to uh, connect with you guys for a run or a ride or a ski, either up in Fort Collins or or here in Boulder, sometime soon. But uh, for those who uh, who don't follow you yet and and want to, where can we find you on uh, on social? Yeah, so Instagram it's at Will. Last name is B O D E W E S, which is pronounced Bo Davis, but doesn't make any sense. Um, so yeah, at Will Bo Davis on Instagram, and that's pretty much the only one I use right now. I'm on LinkedIn as well, but that's not as cool. So, (laughs) (laughs) well, that's where I found the description for your company. And what was the name of the company? Uh, yeah, the name of the company is, is spoke sound. And I I don't know if we said this or not, but we make speakers that look like pictures and hang on your wall. That's our like catchphrase of it, but (laughs) that's a fantastic elevator pitch. Very, very succinct. (laughs) Well done. Will, thanks so much for taking some time to chat and uh, we'll see you out there. Yeah. Sounds good. It's good talking to you. Likewise. That's it for today's episode. Like many long runs, it's sad when it has to end. I hope you join in next time on For the Long Run. And in the meantime, happy trails. If you enjoyed this episode, it would mean a lot to me if you shared it so that others can find it and enjoy it too. This podcast and the accompanying music has been produced by Brian Walters of Single Track Sound. For the Long Run's logo is created by Vanessa Wolf of Sterling Wolf. Show notes have been written by Ruby Wiles and is managed by Emily Holland takes a village. 